Yeah. You hear me? Okay. Yeah. Hello, online friends. Glad to have you here, too. I guess for three minutes, did they just see dead air of a, of a pulpit here, or did they have a, huh? They just saw this, right? Now they saw the screen behind me. Okay. Okay, that's how that works. Yeah. Well, you got any fans of Petticoat Junction in here? Yeah, you remember that show? Lady ran a hotel, train station, three dollars. Three daughters. Remember Uncle Joe? He's moving kind of slow down at the junction. I'm Uncle Joe today. So that's me, moving kind of slow. Um, but it'll pick back up here just like a train. I want to thank you all. Thank you for your support. It's been an interesting week. I don't know where you get your news and how you find it. Um, last Tuesday, well, after Sunday, I went to go see my folks to visit both of them, mom and dad. And uh, on Tuesday, mom passed away. We knew the, the end was coming soon, and we're grateful for her faith in Jesus. And I am so thankful for all of you and all of the support and encouragement that you've given me and my family. And um, our memorial service will be on July 14th in Fayetteville, but... Um, Thank you for allowing me to serve them and to serve you. So, prayer. Prayer has been what has uh, brought me through a lot of what we've all been experiencing. And um, this is why we learn to pray. This is why we take the time to develop this skill. Now, the first thing I need to tell you is that this class will not be in here next week, okay? Newsflash, wherever you get your newsflash. July 10th, no class in the auditorium. We will, Lord willing, resume on July 17th. Why? Well, partly because I'll be out of town, and I know there's, we've got great substitutes, uh, but also because next Sunday begins Vacation Bible School. And I don't know how many of you I need to tell how important that is to me, and I feel bad that I'm going to miss part of it next week. It was, you know, it was at a Vacation Bible School that I was on the church bus around 1974, 1975, and I saw my mom get back on the church bus. We were all waiting to go home, and she came on the bus, and her hair was wet. And I said, Mom, why is your hair wet? And she said, I'll tell you later. And she never did. And everybody was clapping on the bus. They were so happy. And mom was just, wish she could just hide somewhere because my mother was very shy and she didn't want the attention on her. But I could tell how happy everyone was because that's when she decided to be obedient to Christ and to believe and trust in Him. That all came about because of things like VBS and bus ministry and all those things that we get also worried about sometimes thinking, 
How much is this costing? Who's this inconveniencing? Hey, friends, those kind of things are responsible for people hearing the soul-saving message of the gospel. So let's lean into it. You never know. Um, anyway, uh, I guess it could be like one of those deals where the professor is out of town next week, and since we don't have a class, you have a project, so your assignment next Sunday morning is to go pray. Watch out. That might actually get something accomplished. Uh, you go pray. Get together and pray. Go pray places. There's places that need you there praying. And today's prayer lesson may help you just a bit. One of the things that I have done over the last week, and I was uh, you know, starting to prepare for classes and sermons, and it just wasn't enough. I wasn't, the text I had selected weren't, I just couldn't quite pay attention to them the way that I needed to. And so what I did was I started going to the texts that reminded me of the things that I believe, that the things that I believe about Jesus, the things that, that I have always believed that I know to be true about life and about death and about the resurrection. You're going to hear this scripture again during the sermon time, but I will shift the focus of it during the sermon time. So, so don't worry, don't, don't fear that, you know, oh my goodness, he's going to serve us leftovers at the, at the worship. No, 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 no. There's a lot that is in this text that's rich. In John 11, I, John 11 is the story of uh, Lazarus. So right then and there, you, you already know what to expect if you've you know, been anywhere near a Bible, even if you've never opened a Bible, the word Lazarus rings of being raised from the dead. You know, there's, that, that, that term is used to uh, mean something that comes back. Um, but I'm reading it, and I stumbled across two things. It's like walking into a room you've been in many times, and you notice something. That's always been there, and yet this is the first time you noticed it. One of those things is actually over in chapter 12, and it's the fact that after being raised, Lazarus ends up on an assassination list. We'll get to that during the sermon, I hope. I didn't realize that. I knew they were plotting to kill Jesus, but they're, they're plotting to do in Lazarus as well. Interesting. But the other thing is, I was reading through this, and I stumbled across a prayer. A prayer that I did not notice in my initial reading of New Testament. An unnoticed prayer of Jesus. And, and we'll take a look at that. I'm going to pick up the reading here in uh, John 11 on verse, verse 17. This is when Jesus arrives at Bethany. And Bethany is the village where Mary and Martha live. It's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, in John's Gospel, this is where uh, Jesus operates a lot of his ministry going into Jerusalem. Um, and just background, the, the, the 16 verses that precede this, Jesus has been informed that Lazarus is ill. 
And the concern is, is that Jesus go there to heal him. They believe that Jesus is a healer. They know that he has authority from God to give life to those who are suffering from illness, sickness, being unclean, the demonic. And Jesus delays. And he tells his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. This is verse 14. Lazarus has died, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. It seems like a cold thing to say, especially to these disciples who are thinking, well, Lord, if he's just sleeping, then, you know, he'll, he'll get better. He's resting. Jesus is saying, no, you, you don't understand. I'm saying he's sleeping, but he's actually died. He says, I was glad I was not there so that you may believe, but now let's go to him. And then you have this statement from Thomas who says, let us also go that we may die with him. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Is it a bit of bravado on his part? Well, I guess we're all going to die. You know, what is, he, what is he saying? But there's the statement. We pick up in 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead and in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here. My brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and he wants to see you. And so Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. Now what you see here is you see uh, the, the first century custom of mourning and grieving. That you have people who come and their whole, their whole purpose is to, is to mourn and to wail and to express the grief along with Mary no one does this alone so they're thinking oh she's going to the grave that's our cue and they got to run down there with her so everybody's showing up to mourn Mary arrived saw Jesus she fell at his feet and she says the same thing that Martha said Lord if only you had been here my brother would not have died and when Jesus saw her weeping saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. 
he was deeply troubled. Jesus, why he he must not have taken death and dying courses in you know college. You know you're not you're not you're not supposed to get angry, are you? And that kind of inappropriate. Well, but it's Jesus. Well, no, no, let's let's just stop and let's absorb this. Because I always like it when Jesus does something that we think he's not supposed to do. Because when that happens, that's where we learn. That's where we learn a lot of things. Um, because when what we learn is we learn that if we can allow ourselves to be offended by Jesus, we might see what's really going on here. See, the Pharisees would get offended by Jesus. But they didn't think he was the Son of God. And yet, in being offended by him, they were really being offended by God, the one that they were striving so hard to serve. When Jesus doesn't fit nicely or sit easily in our categories and on our own personal throne, then that's our opportunity to learn. Now, sometimes we like to say, well, that's Jesus. He's a special case. He gets to do whatever he wants. But we're missing the point. We're still trying to get away with our agenda when we do that. There's an anger here with Jesus that has something to do with what he has said to his disciples where he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there because people need to believe. They need to believe that I am the one that God sent and they need to believe that I am the resurrection and the life. Notice what he had asked Mary. He said, do you believe this, Martha? And she said yes. Now, before that, she confessed, well, I believe in the resurrection. Okay, that's great. You believe in the resurrection. But what about the one who is the resurrection? Do you trust in me? And she says, I do believe that anything you ask, God will give. So here's the folks that are, they're ready for a good weeping and wailing funeral. And Mary asks Jesus the question that Martha had asked with no intent of um, believing anything's different. I mean, if you just compare these, let me go back. Um, Notice that the one difference between what Martha and Mary says is this. Martha says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. That even now from Martha makes all the difference. Because Jesus says, well, your brother will rise again. Martha says, sure, resurrection. Yeah, we learned about that, Jesus. No, he says, no, 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 no. He's saying, I'm talking about me. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, he asked Martha, you believe that, that whoever lives in me, whoever believes in me, will never die. Notice that what Mary does is, uh, Mary comes up and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Start the wailing. And I, Another reason I love this story, and I guess a third thing I noticed is, you know, in Luke's gospel, Martha really gets hit hard, you know. She you got that scene where Jesus is shown up at the house and 
Martha's cooking and working on everything and working on the hospitality, and Mary is the good one. You know, she's in there listening to Jesus, listening to the, um, you know, the teaching, and oh, this is wonderful. Martha comes in there, Jesus, why don't you tell my sister to, you know, uh, love her neighbor and come help me in here, and, you know, and so Martha, and he's like, oh, now Martha, you know, Mary's doing the right thing, and you need to repent, and you know, and so we always like to beat up on Martha, but good little Mary is going to Sunday school and listening to Jesus. But in this story, and we often fail it, Martha gets it. <laughs> Mary's the one that, you know, wants the funeral. If only you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Now we're just all going to have to grieve. But Martha is open to the authority of Jesus. So no wonder Jesus is angry. He sees these people trapped in a culture of death. He sees these people trapped in not what can be because of the power of God working in the one sent from heaven, but here's this wonder-working rabbi, this miracle-working rabbi who can take care of our things if he's on time, if he's there, if everything works out, but if he doesn't, ah, too bad. But Martha is saying, oh no, wait, I believe that there's much more at work here than just a wonder-working rabbi. No wonder Jesus is upset. Because we're, well we're well into his ministry at this point, and he has to be asking, I wonder if these people are getting it. If I identify with this at all, I know what it's like. It's like you can preach a sermon, you can preach a sermon, you can preach a whole series, and then when somebody just comes up and they've got on their mind and on their heart everything that you've been preaching about. You're just like, what's wrong? And yet, you know, my anger doesn't compare here. I think Jesus is also angry at the force of death. He's angry at what sin has done to the world to cause this agony. I, we're not told why he was exactly why he was angry, but he's just got this deep anger, this disturbance, you know, call it grief, call it compassion, I don't know. One of the things that you all, I'm sure, know is that emotions don't uh, fit into neat, nice, colored boxes, you know, the way they did in that kids movie, you know, where you got the little anger guy and the little sad girl and all that, and it's like, you know, one of them just pops up, and that's your emotion today, inside out, that's the name of the movie. Emotions tend to, to... mix and mingle and they they they're everything all at once so jesus does something he says where have you put him lord come and see they say then jesus wept and because of that other verse this isn't uh, jesus wept and you know he looks like a garden statue with a single tear rolling down his eye you know, it's none of that He's upset by the whole presence of death here or whatever, the, the, the disbelief. The people were standing nearby say, and notice that they have two different takes on this. They're filling in the blanks. See how much he loved him. Okay. This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? That's a, that's a, that's a great one. I, mean, I want to know who those people are because... They're the people you don't want around. 
Well, I don't know if he'd gotten here sooner. Not helpful. Jesus was still angry, see? He wept, but he's still angry. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Now, I'm going to give her this one because she's probably just a little worried. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Like, Why are you worried about a little thing like that? Why are you being squeamish right now, Martha? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, here's the prayer. Look, it's the unnoticed hidden prayer, gang. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, out here, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face uh, face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Here's the prayer. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and notice how, how interesting. You know, Jesus is often depicted as you know, praying just like, it's one of these. You know, however it is. Father, thank you for hearing me. And I mean, he wants, this prayer is open. He wants everybody to hear this prayer. This isn't the silent, you know, uh, football prayer, the kind of the mumble prayer. He's, he's, he's praying and preaching at the same time. And I don't think it's a prayer for show. Because this prayer does some things that I don't think, I know that I'm not used to doing in prayer, but I'm learning. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said this out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. What has he been concerned about all along? He told his disciples, for your sake, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because you need to see and you need to believe. He tells Martha, you need to believe. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Martha, you said you believed and didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? Now, that word belief is believe what? Believe what? Believe in ghosts? Believe in the afterlife? Believe in heaven? Believe, believe, believe what? And the way we use the word believe, we use it like, do you accept the reality of something? You know, surveys show that the majority of the population in Iceland believe in elves. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the people in Iceland are just a little different. Maybe they've seen elves. I don't know. I don't live in Iceland. Maybe I would too if I was there. Maybe there's a lot of um, drugs and alcohol involved. I don't know. But that's fine that they believe in that. And there's cultures all around the world that believe in different things. Now we can say, I believe in that. I don't believe in that. But it, it, it makes things very different if you've met an elf. Okay? Well, I've never met an elf, so I don't, you know, I don't know. 
it'd be a whole lot different if you were an elf. Of course you believe in elves. The thing is, if it's a real experience, then you learn to trust in what is going on or what somebody has told you. I don't know anybody that I trust enough to convince me that there are elves. You know, you, I, I don't know what the credentials even would be. The way belief is being used in John's gospel, to believe is really to trust. To put your belief in someone, to trust in them, to have confidence in them. Now, based on so many things that Jesus said and did, I think we can place our confidence and trust in Him when He tells us things that don't fit with our concepts of the universe. Like when he says, oh, you believe in the resurrection, but I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, we can trust in you. So here he is praying this prayer, and he's saying, Lord, I'm praying this prayer for the sake of all these people here. Yeah, how does that help them? It will help them believe that you sent me. That by praying this prayer, they're going to know, okay, this is the one sent from heaven. That's what Martha confesses. So now I want to analyze the prayer a little bit. There's components to it. First of all, thanks. He opens with gratitude. A prayer to the Father. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for hearing me, and I know that you always hear me. There's a tone of confidence there. You know, there's two words that never show up in this prayer. Please and help. I mean, did I miss it? I don't think it's in there, is it? And yet I know that my prayers are loaded with please and help. Please, God, please this, please, 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 please. Help me, help me, help me, help them, help them, help them. Help this one, help that one, help us all, help us all. Lord, help us, please. Even our phrases have become packed with that language. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. There are many biblical prayers. I think even the prayer in Gethsemane, Jesus says, if it be thy will, is a way of saying, please, let this cup pass from me. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I am saying sometimes we need to learn how to balance. Okay? Um, and here is a prayer that balances us and shows us that even in our moments of grief and sorrow and anger, we can find something to be thankful for. You know, as I've been going through this grief process, over the years as I've tried to get over my anger about things, I try to say to myself, God, thank you. Thank you. We had a wonderful prayer. Oh, I'll tell this story again so you get it twice. We, we, we had a wonderful prayer from one of our chaplains, and the first thing that he said was, he said, you know, what, what you see here, with, the, uh, with your mother's passing as terrible, we see as wonderful. Again, strange statement. And we trusted him enough not to get upset with him for saying that. He had earned our trust. He said it's wonderful because what we see here is we see something different than the alternative. She's not alone. You love her because she loved you. There's faith here that means that the worst things are not the last things. All that is what he was seeing. 
I agreed with him. There's something to be grateful for. Jesus, even at this moment with the death of his friend and before this man's family, says, Father, thank you for hearing me. It's never in any doubt. It isn't, hello, Father, please hear me now. I hope you hear me. No, it's thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. And so, uh, developing that uncanny gratitude in these moments. You know, we can fret and fear over all the things that are happening in the world around us. The events of the nation. The events of the world. It can get us so stirred up to action that we can get everybody anxious. Or we can find a way to be grateful, even though it looks like the end. Because here's the thing, I know that none of these things that we worry about are going to eventually contribute to the ultimate destruction of the world. God reserves that. That's his business. He's going to end things on his good time. Don't we need to get excited, Benjamin? Don't we need to get excited about the way all this is going? Because we've got to change it. We've got to change it. No, I have to be faithful is what I have to be. And that's what you need to be. And trust that God has got this. But isn't our job to go around and purify the church? No, my job is to keep myself pure. Trying to purify other people, that's what gets you in trouble. <laughs> Don't do that. So we give thanks. There's affirmation. He says, you always hear me. In a way, he's saying, it's wonderful that you hear me, and yet that's the norm. He's also saying that the Father is a listening kind of a Father. And there's no anxiety about whether God pays attention. No anxiety. And in praying this prayer so openly, he, he, is, he is affirming what Martha said, even now I know... Let's see, how did she say it? Uh, even now I know that you are, or, or that anything you ask, I've lost it. Yeah, she said, even now I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world, and I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. There it is, verse 22, thank you. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So what Martha believes, Jesus is affirming in his open prayer. What Martha believes in verse 22, in verse 32... Well, not 32, but um, verse 42. 41 and 42. He's saying that God hears. So, third thing. Jesus is speaking truth in this prayer. You know, sometimes when we believe that the wording and the language of our prayer has to be just so so that God will change a particular outcome. Remember from our first classes, that's a form of superstitious magic reasoning that says that if we have the right words, we can somehow manipulate God through all this. 
I look at this prayer and I see Jesus isn't changing anything. He does not go into the prayer and say, now Lord, could you please, with your space age heavenly power, resuscitate old Lazarus from the grave by re-energizing the mitochondrial DNA. He doesn't have to do all that. In fact, he doesn't say anything about Lazarus in the prayer. He just says, thank you, Lord. You always hear me. And now for the sake of these, I pray that they'll believe. He doesn't have any magic words to raise Lazarus from the grave. And in fact, those words that he, that he says, it's, rather, it's, it's really slang language. It's like, Lazarus, hey, out here. You know, and, and it's often made real dramatic. Lazarus, come forth, you know. Uh, and and there, there's really not much of a verb in that statement. Uh, it's kind of like when you go up to somebody's house and you don't know where they're at. Are they back in the back room? Are they in the garage? Where are they? And, you know, you go up to your to friend's house, your family's house, you say, yeah, yellow, out here. You know, it's like you're letting them know, hey, where are you? I want to come see you. I mean, I can do that to the people in the lobby, wouldn't that be? Hey, y'all out there? There's no verb in that. I'm just calling. And that's what he does with Lazarus. Lazarus, out here. That's my, prayer. That's my preferred translation. All right? We can argue that. It's Dero Exo, but we can argue that. But anyway, he's just calling out. And here enough, because that's what Jesus wants, Lazarus comes to him. Now, he speaks truth. Mary, Martha, and the mourners find it hard to believe, and Martha's probably doing better than the others. Jesus shares his confidence and speaks the truth about the Father. What he's praying in front of them is, uh, this is a a phrase that a lot of my, uh, I've heard a lot of my Pentecostal friends say this. Uh, you know, in your prayer, speak life, speak life over them. And I'm like, how does that work? You know, life, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but, but I'm learning again, I'm learning. And I think the idea is, is that, you know, we show respect. Some of you have, have, have had these moments where you have a, a family member that is maybe going through the last stages. They're, they're not really with you. Uh, they're, they're, they're comatose or, or they're just not lucid. And yet, it's good advice. It's like, speak to them anyway. Speak to them as if they're living. There's, first of all, it does no harm whatsoever. And who knows, it might do good. But more than that, I think there is a way that in our prayers, we can say what is true. And one of the prayers that we've often been saying is, you know, I'm so thankful for my mother's legacy of faith i'm so thankful for this you've done that too in fact we can do that sometimes people need us when they say i need you to come and i need you to pray for me i need you to pray that that i get over this sin i'm addicted to alcohol uh i am you know addicted to pornography whatever it is that somebody may be confessing and telling you and and maybe the first thing they need to hear us say is something like god i am so thankful that you have promised through your word 
that nothing can separate us from your love. Now, see, that's a true statement. That's Romans 8. But sometimes having one person affirm that to another in a prayer gets us centered. Now, that, that doesn't mean, well, well, nothing separates us from God's love, so I can just do whatever I want. Nah, that's not what was being said. It says, first of all, that, that what's going on here is something that is drawing you away from God's love. God's love remains, but you're not able to experience it because you've got this other addiction or worry or concern or fear or grief that is clouding your vision to that. And claiming it, naming it right there in that prayer. I don't mean to sound like, uh, you know. Anyway, I'll, I'll skip that. But just, just being able to assert, I prefer that language, and speak that truth right there in that prayer reminds us of what always is true about God. And Jesus does some, some of that here. He says, you always hear me. I thank you that you hear me. And for the sake of these others, I'm saying this so that they will believe. Sometimes when we pray, and, and I, I want to really encourage us to pray for one another, and when we tell people that we're going to pray for one another, I want to encourage you too, this is your homework, to risk having that prayer right then and there. I don't know. Some of you may automatically do that. I know it was a big leap for me in my life when people would say, well, I want you to pray with me. And the understanding is, is I will. I'll pray for you. I jot it down, and then I go off somewhere later and pray. Sometimes I've learned, you need me to pray for you right here and now. And, of course, that can be awkward, because then what do you do? You know, Do you just launch into a you know, six-minute prayer and cover the state of the world while you're at it? Or do you just simply say, Lord, you know what we've been talking about. You hear us. We're so thankful for this. You know what is best. May your will be done. See, and then we're going back to our primer prayer. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is equipping us to be these kind of people. And look, here's Jesus doing that in front of these others for their sake. Not for Lazarus, not for him, but for their sake. So speak truth in your prayers. And belief. As we've already said, belief is more than just acceptance or agreement. It's trust. Lazarus being raised then, and this is the rest of the story, becomes a source of conviction for many. If you jump over to chapter 12, verse 9, this was the other thing I stumbled into. I don't know about you, I never noticed this before. Or maybe I did and it didn't really register. Verse 9 of chapter 12, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Jesus is praying in that prayer, Lord, for their sake. Not just for the ones gathered around, but the ones who are going to hear about it. I mean, from that point on, there's talk. There's chatter. And Jesus is going to be there. Yeah, he's a good teacher. And that guy, Lazarus, way. You mean the one that he raised from the dead? How do we know it's not an imposter? Let's go see. Yeah, and so they all got, Lazarus is very living existence. And I mean, you know, he's four days in the grave and stinking. So, you know, he didn't just pass out and everybody said he was dead. This happened to a coach of mine when I was in high school. Do you know that? Yeah. From, he, he had an esophageal spasm. 
you know, which means kind of like, you know, you just, you, you, you hurt, and he had to go to the emergency room, and, you know, that, this, that was about, oh, second period, you know, in gym or something like that. Yeah, they got him taken care of. He's fine. He didn't come back until later that day. But from second period to lunch, all of us little gossipy junior high kids, we had him going from having a spasm and falling on the floor to he has been to the pearly gates and looked in and seen St. Peter. He died. They were pounding on his chest trying to bring him back. They had to shock him and all of that. He was dead. We were planning his funeral by the time we were well into dessert. And then here he comes walking around the corner. Hey, guys. Like, what? Um, well, it was because we were taking the story too far. Okay, with Lazarus, there's enough time to confirm, yeah, he's gone. Uh, we got the mourners. We already called out the professional mourners. So people are going to see Lazarus. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. <laughs> Lazarus' existence is a threat to their agenda. And they themselves can't believe it. Well, I'm giving you your minute back from last week. And um, here's just a final slide. You can take a snapshot of that. How do we pray for others? We'll probably even pick this up in two weeks. But thanks and trust and truth. Ask yourself, how can our open prayers speak praise and gratitude to God? How can our prayers demonstrate confidence in God? We practice that. We can work on that. Trust. How anxious are our prayers? Of course we're going to pray when we're anxious. But do we pray when we're not anxious? How can our prayers affirm our confidence? What is it that we say in our prayers? What is it that we declare to God? How do we sound back to Him the things that He's said back to us? And then there's the truth. How can our prayer declare the real truth of God's work? How can we name the truth of God and the gospel? Because as we start to do that, it's just like learning a language. You start to say, this is true, this is true, this is true. Martha's starting to do that, and then Jesus offers a prayer that affirms what she's doing. And then many believe because of what was done that day. All right, in five minutes we'll gather for worship. Thank you all for your time and attention, and start praying now.